Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. I met a Scottish bagpiper one time who said, as soon as you see tourists from North America coming, play Amazing Grace on those bagpipes. It works every time. <laughs> Happy Halloween tomorrow. It's a great day to dress up and scare our neighbors and eat our kids' candy. I love Halloween movies because how could they be made without the church? Horror films show something that I think lots of us don't realize, that evil is real and it's loose in the world. But those movies wouldn't exist without some good to fight it. And where would Hollywood get crosses and holy water and all those religious accoutrements without us? They should send us royalties. Halloween is really All Hallows' Eve. All Saints' Day is November 1st. It's a day when the church would commemorate all the saints, even the ones we might have forgotten. Because you don't want to forget a saint, it can make them mad. So the legend grew up that the day before All Hallows' Eve, some of the lesser-known saints turned up just to make sure we didn't forget them. Some think that Halloween is anti-Christian. We actually accidentally birthed it. You're welcome, world. Tomorrow is also Reformation Day. Marks the day in 1517 when Martin Luther began his protest against the church. The church was treating salvation as a product that we could market, a package that we could buy and sell. And Luther said, no, 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 salvation is a gift that only God can give. There is a lot more in heaven and on earth going on tomorrow than most of us realize. There's a lot more in heaven and on earth going on every day than most of us realize. I love that passage from John you just heard. For some reason, it gets me to thinking about space travel. One of the generation-making moments for my parents was seeing human beings walking around on the moon. My dad took pictures of the television. You can't see what's on the screen. You can just see the old television. So my generation, their children, grew up believing we'd be taking vacations in space. Hasn't quite worked out that way. More than 50 years after the moon landing, we're not in space as much as we imagined. And that's okay. There's plenty of intergalactic evil to fight here on Earth. Wiser heads than mine point out that talk about aliens is usually talk about God. Think about it. One of the first things we would ask some other intelligent species is, hey, do you guys believe in God? And one of the reasons usually given for space exploration is we want to see whether we're alone in the universe. As if meeting Martians would answer that question for us. We might just discover we're alone with the Martians. To ask whether we're alone in the universe is really to ask about God. Is there any point in human life? Is there any point in alien life? Is there any point to any of it? Those are religious questions. And no spaceship is going to answer them for us. 
Now, I mostly hear this passage from John referred to in one of two contexts. One is at funerals. In my father's house, there are many mansions, as it is traditionally said in the King James. Or in our more humble translation, in my father's house are many dwelling places. Whether God is promising a luxurious mansion or a modest dwelling place, he is certainly offering some place, large or small, to dwell with Jesus. The other is in the context of Christianity and other religions. I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father except through me. Sounds pretty unequivocal that Jesus is right and everyone else is wrong, right? Now what troubles me about both of these uses of this passage is they direct our attention away from Jesus and towards something else. At funerals, we tell people their lost loved one is in a mansion, and suddenly we're off thinking about heavenly real estate, and not so much about Jesus. Those who appeal to the way, the truth, and the life to say why Hinduism is wrong or whatever are suddenly talking about the failures of other religions and the rightness of ours, instead of thinking about Jesus. So we take a passage that's about Jesus, and we turn it into thinking about our coming mansion. Or how we're right and everybody else is wrong. But in the Bible, Jesus is hard on those who are close to him. And he's tender with those who are far away. Do you hear me? Jesus is hard on those who are close to him. And tender with those who are far away. We usually reverse that. We make Jesus into our mascot to bless our causes. And be a critic of those we know little about. But this is a strange passage, and our desire to make clear teaching out of it is understandable. Jesus is a little long-winded in the Gospel of John. One of his speeches goes on for four chapters of the Gospel of John. My wife, Jalen, and I watched the terrific Gospel of John movie that came out in 2003, narrated by Ontario's own Christopher Plummer. Now, this one is very different than Mel Gibson's movie. Because this 2003 movie just uses the Gospel of John for its script. No additions, no deletions. And you realize pretty quickly why filmmakers don't do this is boring. Long speeches make bad movie making. So Jesus gives a speech, and then another speech, and then another speech, and then another speech. And my wife leans over to me and says, will Jesus ever shut up? That's the Gospel of John. Long speeches. And they're not altogether clear. And the disciples want a little clarity. Is that too much to ask? So my heroes in this passage are Thomas and Philip. Jesus talks on and on about the way, the place where he's going. You know the way. I'm going on the way. And Thomas asks, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus talks on and on about the Father, and Philip has an idea. Show us the Father, and then we'll be satisfied. What a perfect chance for Jesus to clarify everything. New census data suggests that one-third of our fellow Canadians claim no religion at all. This is quite a change from 100 years ago when the average Canadian was likely to be more religious than the average person from my home in the United States. 
But this kind of question haunts you whether you claim to have a religion or not. What is a way to live that outlasts death? What is life really worth? Now, those seem straightforward enough. And we might respond by talking about religion, why a reasonable person might believe there's a God. But notice how Jesus responds. How can you say you don't know the way, Thomas? I am the way, Thomas. How can you say, show me the Father, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Philip. You may have heard the joke about the children's sermon where someone like Nippur is talking to the children and says, okay, what's gray and furry and climbs trees and makes silly noises? And the kids all say, Jesus! And one little girl says, I think it's a squirrel. (laughs) The answer is always Jesus. So when we talk about a way to God, how to see God, and are tempted not to talk about Jesus, we should remember the children's sermon rule. The answer is always Jesus. So there's no need to try and convince our neighbors to be more religious. Religion can be a great way to hide from God. Let's talk about Jesus instead. He's the way to hide in God. Are we alone in the universe? The answer is Jesus. No, we're not alone. God is with us in Mary's child, who is Lord of all. One of my favorite writers is Mary Doria Russell. She wrote a fantastic book called The Sparrow, which is about, you guessed it, Martians. Intelligent life is discovered on some other planet, and all the world's religions race to build a spaceship to go and evangelize the Martians. And the Jesuits, the Catholic Church's most energetic order, builds the fastest spaceship, and so they get to the Martians first. But it doesn't go well for them. (laughs) It goes fine for the Martians. One reason I love Russell is she's a convert to Judaism. She was raised Catholic, And she decided she didn't believe in the incarnation. The idea that Almighty God would squeeze himself down into a woman's womb didn't work. And so she became Jewish. I respect it. If I didn't believe in the incarnation, I'd become Jewish too. Sister gets it. When I heard her speak in my university town, I got the public library copy of the sparrow, had her sign it, and then I turned it back into the public library. I hope someone notices one day I increased a book's value by having someone write in it, but I digress. What her book shows is that we really want an answer to the problem of evil. Why do terrible things happen at all? Why do terrible things happen to good people who don't deserve it? There is no answer. Don't answer that question. Evil's a mystery. It's not a problem or a puzzle to solve. All we have to say in response is a greater mystery. Jesus, dying on a cross, rising to save. So let evil be a mystery. Don't try and solve it. Just immerse yourself in a greater mystery. God knows you and loves you. God even likes you and will save you. But first, he'll make you mad. Jesus likes to muddy the waters when we want clarity. It's not that there's any confusion over whether Jesus is God in the Gospel of John. That's clear. 
Here's the mystery. What does the word God mean? The divine presence is so full in Jesus that it overflows, and he shares it with the rest of us. And you and I come back here to God's house each week, in person or online or on the radio, to ponder this mystery. The God who flung stars into space has his hands driven through by an executioner's nails. And then he rises for us and destroys death. One of my favorite teachers in the early church said this beautiful thing. He said, if you understand it, it is not God. If you understand it, it is not God. If you understand it, it's an idol, a created thing that you should never worship. The true God cannot be understood. So the eternally existing God got born of a Jewish mom and is standing right in front of Thomas and Philip. And they don't understand it. And neither do you or I. What's typical is what Thomas and Philip do, what you and I do. We want information from Jesus about something else. So when our loved one dies, we want information about where they are, a mansion or a dwelling place. When the question is about other religions, we want information, who's right and who's wrong. But the answer is Jesus. And he's not a weapon to brandish in our argument about why we're right and someone else is wrong. Remember that story when a bunch of Buddhists come up to Jesus and he says, you guys are wrong and here's why. No, you don't, because no such story exists. The only story we have is Jesus. Not a mascot we can put in our pocket or a trump card in a card game, but someone who stands over us in judgment and grace, who's not going to be reduced to our petty agendas, who is our Lord and our brother, who judges us and saves us. When you look at Jesus this way, you feel yourself unsettled, uncertain, judged, and loved, just like Thomas feels, just like Philip feels. So, if you're ever confused about these big questions, remember, the answer is always, I heard somebody whisper it, well done. So instead of judging some other people standing before God, we should attend to our own. When we think about God, we should not think of a giant powerful figure on a throne throwing lightning bolts. That would be Zeus. When we think about God, we shouldn't think of someone who blesses armies and gives victories. That would be Mars. When we think about God, we shouldn't think of someone who gives us whatever we want that's a stolen credit card at the mall. We ought first to think of Jesus Christ. That's who God is. However much we don't know, we do know God is present in this man. As God is also present in the water of our baptisms and in the bread and wine at Christ's table. It is so easy for us to misdirect our worship away from Jesus and towards something else. My mansion, my religion's right, yours is wrong. When we think of Jesus first, our hope is his resurrection and his promised return. Not our being right and somebody else being wrong. Because you know what? Little secret, 
Jesus only saves the wrong people. (laughs) That's the gospel. The most important words in this passage are not the most famous. They might be these. Don't be afraid. Someone did the math and discerned that that's the most frequent command in the entire Bible. Don't be afraid. God keeps repeating it because we keep needing to hear it. And there's a lot to be afraid of. Nuclear tensions are back in a way unlike any time since I was hiding under desks in the 1980s. Our economy may be collapsing. If you notice in our popular culture, films and TV, every glimpse we have of the future is dismal. Zombies are coming. Aliens are coming. Climate change is coming. Something worse than you can imagine is coming. And it's going to get us all. Where do you see any vision of the future with any hope in it whatsoever? Wouldn't it be great for the church to be the place that says, we have a glimpse of the future, and it's Jesus coming to heal his creation. It's not that the fears are wrong, it's just that Christ is risen, and it's his world. So be not afraid because of Jesus. Now, a warning, Elie Wiesel, the great Jewish conscience from the last century, liked to say, in the Bible, when an angel shows up and says, be not afraid, watch out, because a big assignment is on the way. So hearing be not afraid might not be comforting, it might be a summons to a more hope-filled way of living. Our media and our culture are sure whatever is coming is going to be worse than we fear. The church can be a place that says, no, actually, whatever's coming, Jesus is Lord. Don't be afraid. And why shouldn't we be afraid? Well, I already told you the answer to every question. It's, the choir's heard this sermon before, (laughs) be not afraid because of Jesus. So maybe it's appropriate to draw comfort at funerals from this passage. Our loved one is with Jesus. If we're worried about other religions, the answer is Jesus. There are many dwelling places with Jesus. There's a capaciousness with this God, a graciousness that extounds. The the danger is that we would pinch God off and make him sound as ungenerous as we are. But the true God, fleshed in Jesus, says, there's a lot of room in my place. Come on and join us. The great Anne Lamott likes to say you can be pretty sure you've remade God in your image if you think God hates all the same people you do. That's not Jesus. That's us. Don't be afraid. There's an answer to every question, and that answer is Jesus. Other religions, learn from them. Honor them. Show our differences in good faith. And don't be afraid. Jesus is Lord And he is patient and good. And he's the only judge there is. That means you and I are not allowed to sit on the judgment committee. The other most interesting non-famous part of this passage is the end. The one who believes in me will do the works I do, and in fact will do greater works than these. Now, by my rough memory, in the Gospel of John, Jesus turns water to wine, heals disabled people, raises a dead friend, 
rises from the dead himself, and he says, y'all will do greater works than these. Now, this is a little bit like the mansion bit. It's hard for us not to hear it with consumerist ears. I get a mansion. I can do miracles. I can get whatever I want. But remember, the answer to every question is Jesus. The thing we're to ask for in prayer is Jesus. The form of the great works we're to do is Jesus. The thing you can always get more of if you ask is Jesus. I stayed away from the comedian Jim Gaffigan for a long time because I heard he was religious, and so that suggested to me he would be boring. I do religion all day long and twice on Sunday, and a religious comic sounds like a terrible idea. I was so wrong. He's one of the most hopeful voices we have. He's a practicing Catholic, which means he can make fun of his own church better than the rest of us. He points this out. Space programs used to be run by governments. Now they're run by billionaires. And he has this reaction. Are these guys paying all their taxes? (laughs) He imagines little Jeff Bezos telling his parents, one day I'm going to be a bajillionaire and have my own space program. That's nice, Jeffrey. Well, here we are. We started out going into space to see if we were alone in the universe, and now we end up with the world's wealthiest people showing off. This is not progress. But we have an answer to the original question. We are not alone in the universe. And we're not going to find God hidden on Neptune or someplace. God is present right underneath the ribs of Mary of Nazareth. And God is trying to scramble into each one of our hearts. God is Lord of his creation. Not far away, but lower than us. Washing our feet. Don't be afraid. Don't. God is with us. And not only that, God makes us God-like. Most of us can't have private space programs. And that's just fine. We can, Scripture promises, do greater works than Jesus. We can even forgive those who mistreat us. We can love those who don't deserve it. We can turn betrayers into friends, sinners into saints, raise the dead, heal the sick, forgive sins, all the Jesus stuff. In fact, you can have whatever you want as long as what you ask for is Jesus. So a preacher from my home state likes to put it this way, God gives us everything we want after God changes our wanter around. God gives us everything we want after God changes our wanter around. The more time you spend with Jesus, all you want is Jesus. And he's who you can always have more of, share with others, and become more like. Friends, the answer to every question is Jesus. Now let's go figure out the next question. Amen.